It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Peace and blessings uh, to all of you uh, that are joining us for our True Stone Bible class online tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, we always like to say thank you for uh, joining us. Um, I know everyone's time is precious, uh, and so for you to take out time to join us, uh, to hear something uh, from the scriptures, something from the heart of God uh, through us, it, it means a lot. Uh, we'll begin, Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy your grace, for you have saved us. And as we come before your throne, thanking you, give you praise, acknowledging you in all our ways, for you say that you will direct our path. So, God, we seek you now as we go into this session. We seek your guidance. We seek your wisdom. We seek your knowledge. We ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to comprehend, and our hearts to receive what it is your spirit is saying to us, your church, and we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Uh, thank you. Uh, once again, those of you who are joining us via uh, phone conference and also uh, through the Ustream, uh, um, 
we're going to uh, get into, uh, I said earlier today, uh, after after actual while praying, meditating uh, various times, uh, even in preparation to speak or uh, teach, uh, preach or whatever, um, this this idea of just kind of slowing down and really understanding the Bible, what it says, what it, what it means. I think we're in a society that we rush everything, and we're in such a haste, uh, such a hurry. So even with the things of God, we tend to hurry along uh, some things we really need to just take our time uh, to consider some things, take our time to slow down and read, understand what the text is saying, uh, even in preaching. Um, I think we're probably more guilty of it than uh, anyone else uh, because of various reasons, sometimes because we know the attention span of people is getting shorter and shorter, and so we try to rush as much in as possible the little, you know, few minutes, you know, 12 to 13 minutes while we have you. Because uh, any time after that, people begin to start clocking out. Uh, so, so we tend to rush things, and especially things of the scriptures. We tend to want to get to the good part, the part to get the people excited and involved in the message or whatever. But sometimes, so much information, so much revelation needed information or revelation is lost because we're just going extremely too fast. And so, what I wanted to do is just kind of slow down and just take our time and see. Uh, what is the Bible saying? Expository teaching is very popular, but in some settings, uh, not many people get uh, biblical expository type of, of, of uh, sermons uh, or lessons where we just look at what the, what the text is saying and simply tell you what it means without uh, so much of interjecting our opinions and our experiences onto the text. Uh, exegesis is called just uh, simply uh, uh, uh interpreting what the scripture is saying. That's it. So we're going to do that today, uh, and we'll start with the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today, Romans chapter 1. Um, and before we jump in, let, let me say something. Um, for those of us who are Christians and involved in the church, let's keep a sensitivity of those who may have not found, quote-unquote, a church home or maybe in between, let's not jump to conclusion that those persons are um, not as spiritual or really don't want um, the Christian community. I read a, a very interesting article from a person. Her name is Rachel Evans. Uh, she's a blogger and she is uh, an editor of some magazines or a, new, a famous newspaper or whatever. Um, but here's what she said about her experience, and I'm quoting her. Not everyone who leaves church is nominally Christian or lukewarm. For many, our doubts and questions about faith are intense. They're real and deeply important to us. She says, I've only just begun limping my way back to church. I like that statement. But the time away wasn't because I didn't care. I cared deeply. But for many of our friends and neighbors, it carries a lot of careful thought, pain, and in some cases a lot of courage to uh, come back to the church. So I, I wanted to read that to, to just uh, make sure that we remain sensitive to wherever people are with their walk in God. You don't know their whole story. And like uh, this this uh, dear, dear uh, woman said, she said that, uh, being outside the church, you know, it's not necessarily 
you know, I'm free. You know, it's, it's just that it's painful, and, and, and it's going through the faith process of believing and trying to understanding. And part of the process uh, could be doubt. You know, how many of you out there have ever had uh, your prayers not answered the way you wanted it to? So let's just be sensitive to the person who, who's on their journey, okay? Uh, maybe we'll say more about that later on. Let's get into Romans chapter 1. Let's take our time with Romans chapter 1. Uh, now, first of all, we, we read, start hearing about Paul in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Paul is one of the most fascinating biblical characters that there is, one of my favorites. Uh, I, I, I love reading and studying about the life and ministry of Paul the Apostle. Uh, but why Rome? Uh, even reading Romans chapter 1, and, and, and again in, in the book of Acts, sometimes you would hear him mention Rome. So why Rome? And it seems, even if you read, uh, especially uh, scriptures like Acts chapter 16, where Paul mentions that he started to go somewhere, but the Spirit constrained him. The Spirit wouldn't let him go minister different places. And uh, other places he said the Spirit led me or allowed us to go, suffered me to go here, but other places... He wasn't. So it seems the Holy Spirit uh, guided Paul's ministry, and it was kind of pushing him, edging him toward Rome the whole time. Why was that? There could be a few reasons. We found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew, a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he says. He was of the stock or tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite, but he also had... Uh, a Roman citizenship, okay? Um, he was well-versed. He was well-educated. He was multilingual. He knew several languages. Uh, so he was an important figure. Even in the quote-unquote secular world, he would have been an important figure of his time, uh, but definitely in the church. While the church is in its infancy, a character like Paul was very, very important. He's a citizen of the most advanced civilization of that time, Rome, okay, the, the civilization that had the most military might at that time, Rome. So uh, for him, for the spirit to lead him, sometimes I, I don't think Paul really even consciously understood why he had to go to Rome. He just had to go to Rome. Uh, and in and, and, uh, Acts chapter 25, we see that very moving uh fast-paced uh, 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 episode where Paul is, is brought before uh, local government, and he appeals to a higher government. He appeals to Caesar. Those were his rights as a citizen of Rome to do that. And so he had to, um, or, or they had to send him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. So what I'm saying, you could see the workings of the Holy Spirit throughout Paul's ministry leading him to Rome again, Rome was the most advanced civilization on the earth at that time. Rome had the most military might at that time. And uh, we can make a case that all of modern history, even this 21st century, which we live in here in the West, most of our culture grew out of that Greco-Roman empire, that Greece-Roman empire. So uh, for, for, for the gospel to get to Rome would have been strategic for God to allow that. It was, it was strategic because if, if, if he could uh, uh, conquer Rome, so to speak, with the gospel message, Rome being who it was at that time could, could, could uh, spread the gospel throughout the world. And that's the intent of the gospel, to go throughout the world. 
and the 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 civilization of Rome, that Greco-Roman Empire, the Empire of Rome, would have helped facilitate the gospel going throughout the entire world to every other modern civilization since then. Um, Rome would have been uh, have made its impact upon them, even America. When you look at uh, our modern architectural structures, um, uh, when you look at our government structure, ruling by the people, republic, uh, you can see all of that um, comes to Rome. You can see the way we do education, uh, medicines, philosophies, all of that comes from that empire. You can see that. So you can see why it was important for the gospel to get to Rome so that it could go throughout all of the world. Okay, now let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Um, I normally read and study from the King James Version. I'm going to do this in the New Living Translation just uh, for um, for better understanding this for a flow of words. Um, and so let's look at, uh, and I'll probably go back and forth to the King James Version and New Living. All right, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, okay, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, whenever you study uh, the epistles, especially the ones that Paul wrote, Paul had a very distinct style. He always opened his letters uh, identifying himself. He had to do that for several reasons. Uh, Just like today, uh, there are people who try to bite your style. There are people who try to take credit for your work. And so, uh, and not only that, to kind of uh, protect his flock and protect the people that he ministered to, he made sure that they understood that this is coming from me. And so he always opened his letters identifying himself. Uh, but also in identifying himself, he always honored God in his greeting. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Uh, and then he starts talking about it and, 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 and uh, exalting Jesus Christ, even in his in- introduction. Very, 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 very important. Very important that, that he would do that. He honors God in his introduction. And he always identifies himself. Listen to what he said about his apostleship. He said, called to be an apostle. He always made an effort to identify uh, and validate his apostleship. He clearly did not try to put himself equal with uh, the original 12, but he did say, I am an apostle. He is a called of God, all right? Um, and so he always uh, stated that he, he really was an apostle, and we need to make that distinction. He was not part of the 12, all right? Remember, there were 12. Jesus chose 12. Judas betrayed him, and in Acts chapter 1, uh, uh, Messiah, by lots, by casting lots, was chosen to uh, replace Judas. So the 12 are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They don't change, all right? Uh, Paul said, I'm one born out of due time. He did not see Jesus in the flesh when he ministered uh, in this earth for three and a half years. He was got into the, the faith years later. But his apostleship, is and was authenticated. His apostleship is valid. 
He was called by God. He has seen Jesus Christ. And, of course, we see the many things he did through his ministry to prove his apostleship. All right? So he always identified who he was and that he was an apostle called of God, called uh, called to be an apostle, not of, of his own will, but by God. All right? Let's go to verse 3. Oh, we already talked about 3 through 4. That's his introduction. All right? Look at uh, verse 4. And declare, talking about Jesus, declare to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. I don't think we emphasize the resurrection of Jesus Christ so much. It is the resurrection, really, that, that separates him from all other uh, uh, characters or figures, even holy figures in the Bible. It is being raised out from among the dead, the power of, 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 of death into new and newness of life. That's what happened during the resurrection that separated and made Jesus Christ so unique. Not only is he the theanthropist, the God-man, but when he died and, and, and resurrected his own self into a new kind of life, that's what resurrection is, being uh, coming into a new kind of life, a life that does not deteriorate, a life that does not end, okay? Uh, this is who he's given uh, reverence to, this God. All right, uh, verse 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, let me read that in the uh, in the New Living uh, uh, Translation, verse 5 and 6. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory unto his name. And verse 6, and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I love that. Okay, so Paul is saying this gospel is for all nations. God's plan is that all nations belong to Jesus Christ, not some, all, all right? And the reason why I'm stressing that is because sometimes we can we can again isolate a particular scripture, and for instance, when Paul goes on to say later on in, in Romans that uh, my prayer is that all of Israel be saved. Yes, he has an affinity with Israel because he is an Israelite. They are his people, number one, and of course the, the whole elect of God that that comes up. And we're going to deal with that, um, the natural elect of God. But but uh, sometimes we can isolate scriptures and and, and think. God is only concerned about one group of people. But clearly Paul is saying here that the gospel is for the nations, okay, um, so that God gave him authority to tell nations everywhere and that they will believe in Christ Jesus. God's plan, again, is that all nations, all people belong to Jesus Christ. Remember this scripture? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repent. I'm going to say that again. God is not willing that no one perish, but that everyone come to repent. Okay? God's plan of salvation includes all. 
excludes none. It includes all, excludes none. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not certain parts of the world, not certain ethnicities. No, God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Whoever it is, whatever ethnos, whatever ethnicity, whatever nation they're from, if they believe on Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. What did Jesus say? He said, if I be lifted up upon the earth, in other words, if if, if I die upon the cross through my death, through, my, through the atonement which I would do, I would draw all men unto me. I love that. I love that. God is interested in the salvation of everyone. Now, will everyone experience salvation? Will everyone accept the gift of salvation? Probably not. We know people that have not accepted him. But does it include them? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's go on. Uh, all right, we've come through verses 1 through 6, okay? Uh, let me go over some of that again. First of all, Paul always opens his letter identifying himself as Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he always talks about how his apostleship is authenticated by God. God called him to be an apostle, all right? And then he makes this uh, statement in, chapters, in verses 5 and 6 that the preaching of the gospel is for all nations so that every nation, all the Gentiles, are included in the family of God. Okay, he makes that statement. Now let's go to verse 7, all right, uh, in the New Living Translation. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Here's what I want you to understand out of that verse. Paul always greeted the saints with honor, respect, and dignity. He always addressed the saints with honor, respect, and dignity. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he blesses them as he greets them. He honors them by calling them saints, uh, uh, called of God, holy people. He's honoring God's people. <clears throat> Be careful of sitting and listening to preachers who won't honor God's people. And as preachers, leaders of, of, of this Christian uh, community, we have to be careful not to speak negatively of God's people. Again, Paul honors God's people. He gives them respect, honor, and dignity, calling them saints, called of God, beloved of God. Uh, words like that, he blesses them, even in his introduction. He blesses them. Be careful that we don't fall into this pattern of, quote, unquote, blessing out God's people, which is a sanctified term of cussing God's people out without using the cuss words. We have to be careful how we deal with God's people. They are his people. You shouldn't have to sit up under someone that's calling you names from the pulpit. You know, 
No, not God's people. You know, Moses got in trouble for dealing with God's people harshly. Okay? Remember Moses got upset with God's people and he smoked the rock and said, come drink these seasons and stiff legs. God said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 man. Those are my people. I can call them stiff neck and all this kind of name. You can't. Don't do that. Those are my people. Moses got in trouble. And we can get in trouble, too. Make sure, as again, as Christian leaders, that we respect God's people. We treat them with dignity, honor, and respect. Okay. Yes, there are times that we have to rebuke, reprove, correct, and all of that. All right? But we have to honor you even in that. All right. Verse 8. Let me say first that I thank my God in Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. I love this verse. Let me read that again. Paul is saying, let me say first that I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about throughout all the world. Now, the church at Rome was known throughout the world because of their faith, not the faith of a personality. Okay? I'm going to say it again. They were known throughout Rome because of their faith, their faith, collectively and probably individually, but definitely collectively, as a congregation of people. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, they weren't known because of Paul's faith and Paul's feet. No, they had faith. And Paul said, people all over the world know about your faith. That's powerful. That is very powerful. Are we a part of congregations that people all over the world know about our faith, what we're doing in the name of Christ? Or or just our, and I want to say this real well, or just our famous leaders know. They know their name and what they do. But, but what are we doing collectively as a people, as a congregation, the people that you're connected to? How loud is your faith talking? How far does your faith reach? Do do the people in your community, are they affected by your faith? You gather every week, twice, three times a week, maybe even more, in that same locale, within that community. Do they know you there? Do they know what you believe? Do you ever reach out to that community? Paul tells his church at Rome, he says people all over the world know about your faith. They know about you all over the world, about your faith. Mm. And listen, they didn't have cable TV back then or satellite. They knew about their faith, not their failures. Paul said people all over the world know about your faith. He didn't say know about your failures. It's easy to know about a church's failures or a church leader's failures. He didn't say that. They know about your faith. What a testament. What a testimony. God, help me. Help me be connected to people that, that people know of our faith. 
in God, not of our failures, not of our grandiose uh, attitudes, nah, but our faith. God help me. Listen to what he's saying. Let's read verse 9 and 10. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Wow. Paul is saying, I pray for you. How powerful is it that this apostle who at this time had not met these saints yet, but he was so connected to them that he said, I pray for them. So you can pray for people and, and don't naturally know them. You can have affection for them, okay? You can have compassion for them, and you don't have to know them. Paul said, I pray for you. Often, day and night, I bring your needs in prayer to God. That's powerful. That's powerful. Make sure on your quest to find your leader that you make sure that leader is going to pray for you. It's good to want to be included in somebody that we feel is rising to the top or have notoriety or fame. I'm not doubting that. I'm not uh, coming against that at all. But I'm saying make sure that they pray for you. Paul said, I pray for y'all. I had even gotten over there to minister to y'all uh, in the flesh yet, but I pray for you night and day. I bring your knees before God. It's awesome. Awesome. That is so awesome. Verse 10, one of the things I pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. Okay. So, again, Paul at this time had not physically uh, met them, but he said one of the things I'm praying for is that God would allow us to connect. God will allow us to come together uh, for me to see you. Okay? That's, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. Can't you see, throughout reading this and slowing down, the, the, the compassion that Paul had for the people of God? He didn't just want them for numbers sake. We need to fill this church up. We need to fill this church. No, he wanted them for their sake. He wanted them saved so they could experience God for themselves, so they could experience all that God had, had to offer them. And he wanted them to be nurtured. And he wanted them to grow in God. You can feel this uh, through even the writings of Paul. He wanted to be connected to the saints. They weren't just a number to him. He wanted to connect them, to look at them, feel them, touch them. All right? And this is what he says in verse 12. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But also, I want to be encouraged by your faith. You see that mutual respect, that mutual honor? He's saying, yes, I want to come and minister to you, but I also want to be ministered by you. Now, hold up. You know I have to stop here. How many... How many of our Christian leaders have this attitude, have this perspective that not only do I feel I have to minister to you, but I want you all to minister to me? Wow. Wow. Okay. 
That's powerful. That is powerful. Paul is, is again, he's dignifying them. He's honoring them by saying, uh, not only do I have something for you from God, I know you all have something for me. And he says, I want to connect with you because not only do I got a word for you, I know y'all got a word for me. Wow. That is so awesome. You know, I can just stay there the rest of the night and talk about that because we often don't have that demonstrated among us wherein leaders uh, will submit themselves and say, okay, I need ministry too. Yes. If you didn't know, yes. The leaders need ministry also. And I think we need to be very careful of those of us who are always on go, never seeming to have any kind of downtime or any opportunity to be poured into, to be ministered unto. You need that often, not just at times. You need that often in your life as a leader. You never graduate from needing prayer, from needing a word of encouragement, from needing correction. You never graduate from that. I don't care how many titles you've got. We can call you apostle, rabbi, uh, pope, whoever. You need ministry unto. And Paul is saying in, in this 12th verse, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by you. That's powerful. That is powerful. The great apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, this is the same guy who said, I heard things unlawful for men to speak. I was caught up in the third heaven. I've seen and heard things. Wow. This is the same Paul who is saying, I want to I sit down and be ministered by y'all. This is so awesome. This is so awesome that he can show such humility. He can show such humility and allow himself to be ministered unto. If you're a preacher or a Christian leader and you have a problem from one of your quote-unquote members or followers ministering unto you, let me tell you what your problem is, arrogance and pride. That's what it is. You need that mutual Respect. How is it that you demand them to respect you? You don't respect them. You need to respect the God in them just as much as they respect the God in you. Oh, this is good. This is helping somebody. This ain't helping nobody but me. All right? So Paul is saying, when I get to Rome, one of the reasons why I'm so anxious to get to Rome, not just to run a revival, you know, but to be ministered unto, to be ministered unto. All right, let's go on. Verse 13, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. He's anxious to to get among them. He's anxious to help develop uh, them, to, to help nurture them, and to see them grow and mature. That's why he wants to minister to them, not to show off, not, not, not to show how much knowledge and deep revelation he has. No, I want to come to you because I want to work with you, okay? I want to see you grow. I want to see the spiritual fruit displayed 
in you just like I've seen in other Gentiles. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. You know, yes, it's all right when you got a word, you're ready to give that word, but Paul is saying, you know, I want to be there. I want to be among you. I want to be among you. I want to see you grow. I want to witness your fruit. I want to see it mature and develop. Verse 14, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. And I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the gospel. Paul, his calling is so broad, yet yet so defined. Again, so broad, yet so defined. He's saying that same verse uh, in uh, the King James English. He's saying, I am better both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to unwise. He's saying, what's in me, I have to reach out and minister to those who are educated, and uneducated. It doesn't matter their social class. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. This gospel is for everybody. And he's saying, and I am so ready and eager to release this thing in Rome. I am so ready to see this gospel work in Rome. I am ready to preach the gospel, not for any self-aggrandizement, not to make me look good, but to see this gospel at work. Okay? And his famous verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. He said, I'm I'm ready, I'm eager to preach this gospel. I have a message that will benefit everyone who hears it and believes it. I am not ashamed of this gospel. We understand gospel in the Greek evangelion, which means good news. I am not ashamed about this good news of Christ. Then this is what he says. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Now, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of this message, for it, this gospel, this good news, this message is the power of God at work. Wow. Wow. The good news is the power. I heard my bishop preach one time, the power is in the message from the same text. Excuse me. The power is in the message. We have to remember that. Sometimes we get confused and think the power somehow is in what we do or say. It's not. It's in the gospel. Please excuse me. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remember that. We must remember that it's 
not in our <clears throat> theatrics. It's in the message of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's the power at work, he says, saving everyone that believes. That's how we know if we're preaching the right message. Are people being saved? Are lives being changed? Is there a difference in their life? Paul said, I have something that's going to work. I have something so exciting that I am so ready to release it that it's going to change the course of Roman history. That's why I am so ready to come to Rome, not to see the sights, not to have all kind of parades and and honors and, and banquets honoring me. No, I am ready to preach the gospel. For it is the power of God. That that part is so powerful that the message, the good news is the message. As preachers, we need to evaluate and continue to evaluate what is it that we're preaching. Paul is saying it's the power of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Are we preaching the good news? What kind of message? If we're not seeing uh, people being saved, what are we preaching? Can we really say it's the gospel? Because this is what it says, how it's translated in the New Living Translation. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It, this good news about Christ, it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Paul was so convinced if I preach this gospel, it's going to save us. If I preach this good news about Christ, it is going to have an effect. Can we really say that honestly about what it is that we're preaching as preachers in this century? Is what we're preaching and teaching having the desired effect of saving Someone, Paul said, I am not ashamed of it, for it, this good message, is the power of God. So not only can you hear the gospel, you can see the gospel at work. This is, this is so powerful. This is so powerful. Verse 17 says, this good news tells us how God makes us right. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. Or as the New Living Translation says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is the good news that tells us that God looks at us as being righteous. We're in right standing with God. This is the good news. This is the good news that tells us that God is not angry with us. Wow. This is the good news that's telling us that we can be reconciled with God this, through Jesus Christ. This is the good news. You know, this message gets you in trouble, not in the world, in the church. You can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ 
hey, we're supposed to see an effect wherever we go. And I really think we need a revival in the church more so any places. Because verse 17, again, is saying, this good news, this gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. That is so powerful. In Christ Jesus. That's good news. When you hear, you know what? You don't have to go to hell. It's good news when you hear, you know what? God is not angry with you. It's good news when you hear, no, God has a better plan for you. God has a great life uh, in store for you. That's good news to hear. It's, it's good enough to change somebody's life. It changed yours. Changed mine. And Paul is saying, I got so much faith in this message that I am ready to come to the greatest civilization on the face of the earth. I am ready to tell this gospel to Caesar himself, the greatest governmental military power and office in the land. This man can benefit from the gospel. Y'all, this is so powerful. Because eventually, Constantine, according to history, some doubt it, but according to history, Constantine, Caesar, did benefit from the gospel. You ever heard of the Roman Catholic Church? Okay. Now, despite all of the things that's wrong with you know, things that's not necessarily biblical with their doctrine and practice. Just on the outskirts, just, just, just look for a moment. The Roman Catholic Church, at one time, ladies and gentlemen, in history, the church ruled the world. So efficacious was the Roman Catholic Church at one time that its effects is still seen and respected today. The Pope has tremendous power. (coughs) The Pope has tremendous power. Just like Paul said, I'm ready to get this gospel to Rome, the greatest military, greatest civilization on the face of the earth, because he knew if I can get it to Rome, if it can affect Rome. Uh, Rome was conquered, ladies and gentlemen, by the gospel. Yes, Rome was conquered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same people who, who crucified the Lord, the Roman executioners, becomes the Roman Catholic Church. Don't see how powerful it is? That's, that's very, very powerful. Listen, I'm going to stop here. <clears throat> As you can tell, I'm having a little sinus allergy things going on. I apologize so very much. Uh, but I'm going to stop here. But we had a good stopping place. We went through uh, verses 1 through 17 of Romans chapter 1. Now, for those of you who are listening and following us, uh, read the rest of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and 17 
is wonderful. It is good. Um, but we just get into some stuff, y'all, from verses 18. We're going to get to some heavy stuff. So, and we're going to do it next week. We're going through the book of Romans. Unless the Lord says something different, we're going through the book of Romans. And I think, matter of fact, I know what we're going through next week, starting from verses uh, 18, uh, it really answers uh, a lot of questions about what we're dealing with today and how should we interpret uh, things that we're dealing with today, uh, same-sex marriage, um, gay rights, uh, things of that nature. How should we view those things through the eyes of Scripture? How does God view those things? We're going to get into it next week because it's in the book. It's already written, and we're going to just expound what the Bible says, and the Bible is going to tell us how should we interpret these things. So uh, you can tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell anybody, tell the enemies, tell everybody. This is what we're going to be dealing with next week. Uh, with Romans chapter 18, we're going to deal with homosexuality. We're going to deal with same-sex thing. What does the Bible say? There are many that says the Bible says various things about it. Some say the Bible says nothing about it. We're going to see exactly what does the Bible say about it next week, line by line, precept upon precept. I hope it helps somebody. Thank you for joining us. I pray that something was said that, that enlightened you, that informed you, inspired you, encouraged you in some, some sort of way. Uh, pray for us. We'll pray for you. For those of you who are in the Florence area, Friday night, I'll be ministering at Florence Chapter Ministries uh, here in Florence. Wonderful group of people. Uh, in East Florence, Marigold Street is the name of the street. I don't have the number address. Next week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'll be uh, doing a revival at True Faith Ministries in Florence, South Carolina. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday is next week. So actually, maybe we won't start this next week. But uh, I'll tell you what, follow me anyway online, Facebook, Twitter. We'll put some lessons out there for you to uh, be able to get into. All right? God bless you. Thank you so much. You all be blessed, the Lord. Good night.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.